everyone. Welcome to the Jesus Famous Podcast. Our podcast exists to see Jesus honored, glorified, loved, esteemed, appreciated, adored, revered, and followed. Jesus Famous in your everyday life. I'm Nate Holdridge, your host today and pastor at Calvary Monterey on the California Central Coast. I preach about Jesus Famous on Sundays, but like to write and podcast about Jesus Famous during the week at nateholdridge.com. Our show consists of interviews, discussions, and stories that we think will help propel you further into an appreciation of Jesus. Today's episode is going to be a great one. Uh, I'm in the studio on call with a friend of mine named Bruce Zachary. He pastors a church uh, further south from me in Camarillo, California, and Bruce is going to talk with us about church planting and the Cultivate Church Planting Initiative and Network. Bruce is a fascinating man to me. He's in his uh, kind of final leg of pastoral ministry, although I think it'll be a very long leg and journey. Uh, Bruce was raised in a Jewish home and was not a believer. Actually entered into law, was a practicing attorney, and then came to faith in Christ uh, as his Messiah over 30 years ago. And he's been teaching the Bible and leading churches ever since. And uh, part of Bruce's uh, ministry has been to uh, launch churches. Uh, Years ago, Bruce wrote a manual for Calvary Chapel um, and started the, uh, on church planting and started the Calvary Church Planting Network. And that document has been downloaded millions and millions of times and has been used to help train many church planters inside of Calvary Chapel and outside of Calvary Chapel as well. He's the author of 17 books and has recently helped launch the Cultivate Church Planning Network for Calvary Global Network and uh, is really gearing his life to be able to minister to uh, church planting in the years to come. I think this conversation that we're about to have, uh, having I'm recording this introduction after having already had the conversation, I think this is a conversation that's good for any Christian to partake of because uh, to me, this is God's main methodology for reaching the world is planting churches. So every Christian should be concerned with this subject and engage with it in some way, whether it's basically in prayer or financial support or Uh, Lord willing, it'd be so great for every person to be part of a church plant at some point in their lives. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, Before we get into it, just a quick announcement for you. This is the first episode of 2023, and I know that the episodes that come out in December can kind of be forgotten because we're all busy and everything, but the last week of December, the pastors of Calvary Monterey sat down with me and recorded a conversation where I asked each of them two questions. What did God teach you in 2022 and how would you exhort the church in 2023? If you missed that conversation because you were busy with Christmas, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's a timeless conversation. I think you'll be greatly edified. Our next conversation that we're going to release in a couple of weeks from now is going to be on parenting with Pastor Matt Kaler. We're going to talk about how 
uh, modern views of selfhood have negatively impacted parenting and how we need to guard ourselves against it. And if you'd like to get an email uh, with any new post that I release at nateholdridge.com, and it's usually three or four each week, I'd encourage you to go to nateholdridge.com slash subscribe, and uh, you can join that list. And whenever I come out with a new podcast or article or written teaching, uh, you'll get that in your email inbox for your convenience. All right. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Pastor Bruce Zachary. All right, Pastor Bruce. Great to have you, man. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, always my pleasure, Nate. I so appreciate you and the team at Calvary Chapel Monterey. I'm just honored to have this conversation with you. <laughs> well, Bruce, it's an honor having you. I just shared with the people listening your bio a little bit, a little bit of your story. But I'm curious, just this conversation about planning churches, how did you plant your church? What was the story for you? Because that was back in the early 90s, right? Yeah, so I had been teaching at Calvary Chapel Bible College with a pastor named David Gusick, and David may be a name that's familiar to many of your listeners. And my wife and I were going to celebrate a birthday um, in Santa Barbara, and we were living in Orange County. I was serving in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And we we're going to get together with our friend David, another pastor friend. And at the end of our breakfast together, he said, Bruce, I don't know what's going on with you, but sooner or later, there's going to be a Calvary Chapel in Camarillo. And I said, where's Camarillo? Just over the hill here. Why don't you go check it out, pray about it. And so my wife and I went over the grade. And when we came into the city, we pulled off the freeway to grab some coffee. And we we're out by a fountain. And almost in an audible voice heard God say that I was going to be ministering to Catholics, which didn't seem like a, a logical fit. I grew up in an observant Jewish home and um, I knew nothing about the city and really had no desire to be a church planter or a, a pastor per se. I was practicing law in Orange County, having many opportunities to teach the Bible, had a Bible study in our home with about 45 people, and was really content with the life that my wife and I were enjoying in Orange County. But uh, it was pretty clear. And so we spent some time in Santa Barbara, and on the way back home after sharing with my wife this experience, I said, hey, can we stop there again? And uh, we stopped and second time. Uh, the same occurrence, and my wife and I chatted about it. We really felt that perhaps God was calling us and decided to go and do some exploration the next weekend. And through a series of circumstances that I won't bore anyone with, uh, God confirmed that we were being called there. And so I was uh, mentored by Pastor Chuck, and so Sunday night soon thereafter, Pastor Chuck prayed for my wife and I, um, put his hands on us and, and just gave that big Cheshire cat smile of his. And uh, <laughs> then we were handed a, a box. I'm, I'm so old. It was the 5,000 series on cassette. Like many of your listeners have no idea what a cassette is unless they saw it at a museum. And uh, that was it. There was no really a focused training prior to the launch. There was no uh, launch support, intentional support afterwards. It wasn't that uh, Chuck, was avoiding us. He, he greatly loved us, but he had so mm. many things going on. There really wasn't a system in place. 
And so we moved to the area without knowing anything uh, about the area in terms of the demographics or the exploration. So I'm not opposed to someone doing that kind of search, but that wasn't our experience. And uh, we simply began a Bible study. And, and as um, a church planter, uh, you know, there's some lessons I've learned along the way in the last 28 years that I might have done things differently. But we would just engage uh, effectively anybody that we had a conversation with and mm. let them know that we're having a Bible study at our home and invite them to come. And uh, our first Bible study, there were five people that we had met in town. And even in that, God was really gracious. We were looking for a house to rent, and uh, there were only like five listings in the local paper. And the guy who had the third listing that we called asked the question, why are you coming to this town and explain to him about starting Calvary Chapel. And he goes, that's interesting. I write the religion and ethics um, section of the local paper. Can I do a story about mm. you? And so he did an interview. And uh, again, just a, a tribute to my age. At the end of the article, there wasn't my cell phone number. It was a pager number. That's how old I am. And uh, <laughs> these five people had read this article and wanted to come to the first Bible study. And that's how it began. Wow. Wow. Bruce, do you remember what your first, uh, I'm assuming a book of the Bible you chose for that, that study? Yeah. The, the first book, uh, that we went through was, uh, the book of Acts. And, uh, I remember at the end of this first, uh, study that, uh, I shared an invitation to receive Christ from revelation three, that, uh, the admonition to the lukewarm church is Jesus standing at the door knocking. And if we would open the door, he would have fellowship communion with us. And one of the people in the Bible study afterwards said, I thought that was written to a church, not to unbelievers. And I thought to myself, this is going to be an interesting journey. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, over a course of time, uh, people came and, and, um, one of the things that's so wonderful about a church plant is that season of, of infancy where you're just one mm. big extended family and you do everything together. And as a community of 30 or 40 or 50 people, you can do that, you know, that you can have barbecues and, and get together uh, for pizza or uh, just get together at a beach or wherever uh, you might be able to congregate. And those are just really wonderful experiences. You know, if you give a church planter a hundred dollars and say, go plan an outreach, they'll figure it out. They'll borrow a volleyball net. They'll get hamburgers donated. Somebody bring a barbecue, you know, in a, a large established church. If you hand someone a hundred dollars and say, go plan an outreach, they're like, are you kidding me? And so one of the one of the joys is just that pioneer experience where you just believe that God's going to do impossible things and you step in to watch it happen. Wow. I love that, Bruce. So, you know, for someone listening to this, you know, they're hearing you talk about your experience going to Camarillo, hearing the voice of the Lord, being led by the Lord. But I think a lot of people maybe who have been part of the church for many years, they uh, have gravitated towards established, long-standing church. They may be churches. They may be in the back of their mind, have an understanding that somewhere at some place, this church that they're in started, 
but they weren't part of that. They came along later, the, everything was developed, all of that. So there's large swaths of people who really haven't had an experience where they've gotten to be part of a church plant. They don't know what church planning is. So my question for you is, can you describe what is church planning and why do you think that there's a need for church plants, even here in the United States? Yeah. So the first question, uh, what is church planting? I think theologically, when we contemplate church planting, we want to be thinking in terms of a target that we're reaching lost people who become disciples. In other words, converts, believers, followers of Jesus, who are then matured into uh, disciples of Jesus who can make other disciples of Jesus, as opposed to trying to attract people from uh another uh, place of worship who are already believers or disgruntled people mm -hmm. per se. I think when, if you're focusing on people who are unreached or unchurched, uh, that's a healthier model. And I, I think in, in terms of, of church, one of the obstacles, so to speak, is the expectation. So if you've come from a larger church, such as Calvary Chapel Monterey, which Statistically, 85% of the churches in this country are under 250 adults. So uh, almost 65% are under 100 adults and children. And then 85% um, are under 250 actually adults and children. So when you start okay. to contemplate a church the size of Calvary Chapel Monterey, it, it represents less than 4% of the over 330,000 Protestant churches in the United States. So if that expectation is that is what a church is, it's a beautiful campus, it's got property, it's got lots of seats, lots of ministries, lots of volunteers. Yes, that is one expression of a church. And similarly, uh, if you have a relatively small group of people that are growing as disciples, they're growing in an understanding of the word of God, they're under growing in obedience to God, uh, they're affections are changing they're engaging in ordinances such as partaking of communion or baptism there is some element of correction um, not necessarily church discipline in the sense of excommunication but even in some instances that happens in a much smaller context all of those things would represent church planting so uh, what we have seen in the United States, going to your second question, and in many parts of the world, especially after COVID, is, is just a decline in church attendance. People who are on the margins of church have been uh, displaced from church attendance. And really, that, that isn't a gospel-centered reality. In a, a gospel-centered reality, we're not going to fall into liberalism where we're making our identity based on religious performance, nor are we going to lean towards liberalism where we minimize God's commands. So in a gospel-centered community of faith, a church, um, there is going to be a, a desire to obey God, not to earn his favor, but because we have been accepted. There'll be no compromise of commands. So people will engage in biblical practices of a community of faith. And because of, of not only the decline, uh, which was accelerated by COVID, but um, numbers of attendance uh, diminishing in many mainline Protestant denominations, 
there's a need. There will always be a need for more church plants. Um, if, if you were to even liken it to gas stations, what you notice is uh, in every community, there are arguably more gas stations than are literally needed, presumably in a town of 50,000. I imagine somehow you could get by with just one gas station. But if you have uh, different options available, similarly, in a town of 50,000, presumably there's some way you could get by with just one supermarket or one um, restaurant or, or one fast food offering. But there are different uh, varieties that are going to be necessary for the different taste preferences, the different philosophies, the different needs of different people in that community. Mm -hmm. And so, too, it is with the church. Um, I know that Calvary Chapel Monterey is an amazing church, and yet you could not take care of all the needs of all the people in the Monterey Peninsula and surrounding areas. There needs to be diversity for those to be attracted. Another reason is statistically, new churches tend to evangelize much more effectively mm -hmm. uh, just because of the hunger uh, that I talked about earlier uh, than established churches. So once a church has reached uh, seven to 10 years in its life cycle, the rate of evangelism tends to diminish in existing churches. And that's another reason why new churches are going to be needed until Christ returns. Now, a question I have just following up on that, Bruce, is I've heard that another benefit uh, with regards to the evangelism that happens in a new church is that non-believers are more prone to investigate something that's new or small than something that is established and big. Is that true? Have you heard that? Is, or am I just making that up from somewhere? Yeah, I, I think that uh, those who are attracted to a smaller church, just the curiosity of a new church, may check it out. I'm not familiar with uh, the statistics okay. that you're referencing. I don't doubt it. It's just I don't want to say, uh, yes, that's true, without being sure of it, so that I have some credibility at the end of this podcast, but I don't doubt it at all. <laughs> all right. So for you, Bruce, I mean, this is, I, I just love listening to you talk about this. I've heard you uh, talk about church planting probably for uh, at least over 10 years now, going back all the way to when you wrote the Calvary Chapel church planting manual, or at least part of creating that and then hosting some conferences for the Calvary Chapel church planning network back in the day. And now you're reinvigorated with uh, the Cultivate church planning uh, program, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I, I love it because it just, I think it, it brings me back to my roots a little bit. I mean, I grew up in a church planner's home. So when you're talking about the small gatherings, the church that's 40 or 50 people in size, the, you know, sometimes guys that are leading churches like that, they'll tell me, I don't need to start a bunch of small groups yet because our church is a small group. We all, we all know each other. We do everything together. We take care of each other's kids. There's just, to me, it's a beautiful expression of the church, which is to me another reason why there's always room for more church plants, but how did, how did this become, uh, how did you develop this strong heart for it? Because as far as I understand it, you were exposed to some pretty 
big churches right off the bat in your walk with Christ. Um, so how, how did, how did this begin to really cultivate in you and why should Christians, maybe you've talked about this all, already, but why should, why should we all care uh, about this issue? So for me, it was somewhat inadvertent. Um, in our local church in Camarillo, California, which is halfway between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara, we had sent out a, a few church planners during our, our first five to seven years. And at about year seven, we were sending out another church planter to uh, East Bay in San Francisco. And I won't name the neighborhood. It's probably too familiar to some of your audience. But that church still exists, but the planter who went out, his marriage doesn't exist. And mm. I, I just felt if I had done a better job of preparing him, a better job of equipping the family, a better job of post-launch support and care, that possibly it could have been different. And it wasn't a sense of necessarily guilt or shame. It was just a conviction of God that I could do a better job. And so... I purposed to do that. Um, there'd been a, an element in uh, some movements where the idea was you just throw people into the swimming pool and if they're anointed, they'll swim. And I just thought that's the worst way possible to teach somebody to swim. It's, it's just traumatizing them. There's got to be a better way. And so I did all the research I could. My, my background is as an attorney, so research isn't really foreign to me or, or challenging per se. And as I had gone through all of these books, articles, various resources on church planting, most of them are written with a marketplace perspective. In other words, the, the audience is as broad as possible rather than being limited to a particular tribe's philosophy or theology. And many of the um, best practices that were being recommended were simply ideas taken from the marketplace and now put in the church. And I, I thought that's not how uh, we would want to do that in the Calvary Chapel movement. And so I um, purposed with a friend to try to write a, a book about church planting. I'd uh, written some things before, and my friend and I started to pray about it. And we reconvened a few weeks later, and he said, I've got to figure it out. And I said, it's great. What are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to use the book of Acts. I said, brilliant. He said, uh, I said to him, so how are you going to organize it? And there's like silence on the end of the line. And so he goes, how about you? What do you got? And I said, well, I'm thinking like who should plant, uh, why we need to plant, what Calvary Chapel is all about, how to plant. And then about 20 or so lessons that you wouldn't learn in Bible college or seminary, some really practical lessons. And then I'm thinking an appendix on how to teach people to teach the Bible more effectively. And he's like, that's it, man. Go for it. And so I wrote this manual uh, simply for my friend and I and the next church planter that we were sending out from our local church to plant in Oregon. And uh, some guys got a hold of it and Pastor Chuck got a hold of it and started distributing it. And I got asked to be involved uh, with the Calvary Church Planning Network. And um, I didn't really appreciate that God had given me um, a gifting in this area. I'm, I'm kind of slow on the draw and people were telling me that I had some insights that were really valuable. And so I, I found myself in that niche. It wasn't something that I was ever aiming for or something that I was pursuing, but 
the further I started to peel away the outer layers of that artichoke and move towards the tender heart, the more I began to appreciate the need for church planting and the revitalization. I think a lot of local churches are under the misguided impression that if you're sending people out to church plant, it's going to hurt your local church. But I think the the truth is 180 degrees diametrically opposed. In other words, if you're a church that is sending people out to plant churches, you're going to attract leaders. You're going to create a sense of excitement and energy and vision in the local church. You're going to be advancing God's kingdom. Uh, if you were to describe the heart of God and imagine a, a target with a bullseye and then concentric circles making the rings, I would say church planting has to be pretty close to the bullseye if it isn't the bullseye. And so you have mm -hmm. that sense that you're engaged in that. So I think to the extent that all is, um, and while yes, it, it can be difficult, it is incredibly invigorating. Um, Nate, I know you uh, are a trail runner and you work out and that's never easy, but the rewards, I, I do some mm -hmm. um, endurance cycling. And what I have found is that um, it is always harder than I thought it was going to be, but it is always more rewarding than I could have ever imagined. And um, that's how I think church planting is and, and why we should be involved in church planting. I love that. I think for me, as I've looked at churches that have engaged in church planning and really made that a focal point, which is, you know, it's hard to keep that focus, but churches that have, what I've noticed is it, it just has a great way of cutting out a lot of the sideways energy and distraction that churches can get engaged in. And it has a way of focusing the believers in that church and raising the bar higher in that church. So thanks for that exhortation. I think everybody should care about it because we want to reach people. And you're right. I mean, when it, your friend was, was correct, you know, you read the book of Acts, you don't see, a, 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 you know, a lot of programs. You see churches getting launched and started by because evangelists were going out and preaching the gospel. So I, I love that, Bruce. I, I think you told me that that church planning uh, manual that you wrote, it's been downloaded a, an incredible amount of times. I can't remember off the top of my head, and I don't know if you want to say it out loud, but it, it's been accessed by quite a few people over the years. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes for everybody who might be interested in, in picking up a copy of it because it stands the test of time and is still a really edifying uh, resource. Yeah, just real quickly, that manual is now uh, translated into nine different languages. So it's available, obviously, in English, but also Spanish and French. It is available in Hindi. It is available in Tagalog. It is being translated into German, Hungarian, Russian. Ukrainian, and uh, they just started a translation into a Tibetan dialogue for people in China. So I'm, I'm excited that um, as we are truly a global movement and uh, that's Calvary really Chapel cool. and Calvary Global Network, that it's a resource that's available. Well, and, and I don't think there would be a drive for it to be translated into those other languages if you had taken a marketplace 
um, perspective on how to plant churches that would just stay in the West or stay in the United States. But because of the principles that you tried to distill, because they're timeless and biblical, I think you've, you're going to have plenty of other cultures that would love to to read about them and try to apply them in their setting and, and uh, context. So Bruce, for you, when you think about, um, I don't, I'm sure you know some numbers on the success rate of new church plants. You know, I myself know plenty of great uh, pastors who tried to plant a church and the first one did not succeed. And uh, it, it, there's plenty of factors for that. Um, but what to you are some of the successful or the important ingredients for a church that makes it, that begins to thrive and do well in a community? Sure. Um, I, I think we could talk about um, some of the personality uh, qualities of, of leaders that are helpful. Uh, one would be perseverance. Um, that, mm-hmm. In other words, when we talked about endurance running or cycling or anything like that, um, along the way, you're going to encounter difficulty. You're going to encounter pain and people who learn to overcome and to persist in what God has called them to, despite the discomfort, typically make good church planners. Um, the characteristic of faithfulness in the first Corinthians four two, Paul talks about it's required among stewards that they be found faithful. So people with um, very dynamic personalities uh, can be great. Uh, but if they're not faithful, they're like Fourth of July fireworks in the United States. Mm. They go up, everybody goes, ooh, wow, ah. Oh. But uh, then they just burn out and disappear. But faithful people, kind of like Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare, tend to endure well. I think people who are self-aware, that uh, if you have a, a sense of awareness of your interactions with others, it's, it's not a great calling for an introvert, you have to be somewhat extroverted or at least be willing to play the extrovert to engage people. Uh, I've heard the idea of extroverts are energized by engaging people and introverts tend to feel uh, diminished energy, but you have to be able to engage in uh, engaging people, being extroverted. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of an apostolic bend, in other words, being visionary people, prophetic, where you're correcting people's misalignment with the word or the heart of God, the evangelistic gifting, the shepherding gifting, or the teacher gifting. Other than Jesus, I don't know anybody who is a really a five-tool player. And so most of us have to figure out where our primary lanes are. And chances are none of us are likely to fill in the gaps on our weaknesses apart from others. And so it's super helpful to be aware of your own strengths and weaknesses and to develop uh, teams. And that I think having some uh, meaningful pre-launch training uh, at Cultivate, we're doing six to 24 months of uh, pre-launch training, depending on somebody's experience, uh, someone who's been involved in, in, uh, full-time ministry for five years may need a shorter duration, let's say a year. Someone with less experience would probably need closer to two years of training, but that's an incredibly important element uh, uh, to 
be a successful church plant. I think reasonable expectations, um, like I, I mentioned earlier, the statistics show the great majority of churches in the United States are under 100 adults and children uh, weekend attendance. And so those aren't small churches. Those are normal churches. And so when we equate right. that with a small church, we're, we're already showing a bias in our perception that is likely to produce frustration in terms of the length it takes to build the the community of faith and then uh, the numbers. And so I think it's very helpful to have reasonable expectations. Uh, if you're going to a, a suburban area where the name of Calvary Chapel is well known, it's certainly going to be easier than going to somewhere in the world where uh, Calvary Chapel isn't known or where Christendom and the gospel aren't known. And so adjusting expectations accordingly. And then the last thing I would say is post-launch support. Um, during that first year, I think it's really helpful to have a mentor or a coach who's effectively in your corner once a month, encouraging you not to give up the fight, whether that's via Zoom or in person, just depending on the logistics, even the phone call or text, but to be available to encourage, to uh, offer wisdom, counsel, bounce off ideas, um, affirm, even exhort as necessary is super helpful. In the second year, I think that uh, rate of interaction can maybe diminish to once a quarter. But if, if you can get two years of, of sort, just like the sense of an infant, a, a child at two years is in a very different condition in terms of its needs for life support than an infant newborn or a neonatal child. And so um, the first two years can be a real critical time to make sure that there's support. So I think those are some of the elements that help. And, and then again, I would say in contemplating the word success, um, I believe in many respects, simply uh, going out and engaging people and making disciples and building people up in their faith, uh, maybe we need to contemplate that as success um, rather than ascribing a number or a history uh, to it. Um, yeah, I, I think if you have a bunch of flour eggs, milk, and sugar sitting on a counter, uh, those are just ingredients. And if you put them together in a tin and you put them in an oven, you might have a half-baked cake, but half-baked is a whole lot better than just the ingredients. And so I think we need to learn to celebrate the progress that we're making along the way as success um, and, and maybe uh, consider some of the thresholds that we create to determine success. Yeah. Amen. That's well said. I mean, Paul talked about how, uh, he, uh, planted and Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the increase. So we're, our job is to plant or water or do whatever God has put in front of us. And if an increase comes beautiful. So, uh, Bruce, I want to pivot the conversation as we wrap it up today by asking you some questions about uh, Cultivate because, you know, like I mentioned years ago, you were involved in and in the leadership of the Calvary Chapel Church Planning Network. And as ministries do, that changed and evolved over the years. And now Calvary Global Network is in a fresh place where we're um, launching.
launching this uh, church planting arm called Cultivate. And you're a really big part of that to no one's surprise. So what is Cultivate and what are your hopes for this fresh iteration of a church planting arm in Calvary? Yeah, so I've been around in the Calvary Chapel movement long enough that I saw uh, the initial um, just exponential church planting in the first generation, the first two decades, that if you were to chart it, it would look like a hockey stick. And then I I saw that plateau uh, in the 90s um, into the early 2000s. I saw a re-engagement around 2011. And uh, now, after COVID and all of of the repercussions uh, we have in the Calvary Global Network, a new intentional effort to see churches planted that are Calvary chapels in their DNA, in their philosophy of ministry, in their theology. And Cultivate has a vision to see 1,000 churches planted in the next 10 years. And that isn't a numerical goal. What I mean is that we've created the infrastructure uh, by creating resources, by uh, equipping coaches and mentors with literally thousands and thousands of hours of experience as church planters and uh, as pastors to be able to train church planters in every region around the globe. And uh, as a movement, we embraced the idea before many, perhaps before any, had the idea that you could train church planters in the context of a local church, that if you had a healthy church, whether it was 5,500 or 5,000, whether it was in Lima, Peru, Manhattan, uh, New York City, or Manhattan, Kansas, that you could effectively train someone in that context to plant a church, whether it's in proximity to the sending church, in another part of the globe and so one of the ways that we want to engage existing uh, sending churches or existing lead pastors and prospective planters those who have an interest in church planting is by hosting regional gatherings and so in the first year we will be hosting uh, gatherings in over 20 locations on six continents which is just remarkable to be able to say, and and one of those I'm excited about is being hosted by Calvary Chapel Monterey on February 1st. And this is intended for uh, pastors who want to get information about church planting, as well as prospective church planters who may be thinking that I'm I'm not ready today, but this might be something I want to do down the road. I'd like to get some information. And at these gatherings, we'll explain our resources to provide training, to provide assessment, a model of mentoring and coaching in the context of a local church uh, where the planter is presently or the place where the planter is hoping uh, to one day plant. We will talk about some of the support that is available uh, during training as well as post-launch in regard to financial support. We'll be able to share uh, some of the history of Calvary Chapel and the DNA that we share as well as this exciting uh, season for Calvary Global Network. And uh, Nate, I know you've been incredibly involved as part of the team helping to shape that vision. And you'll have a chance to remind and encourage uh, those who are gathering about um, this uh, exciting stream uh, in the Calvary Chapel River. And so 
that is the purpose of these gatherings and people can go to uh, cultivatechurchplane.com to find out uh, about uh, the programs that are available really the the process that's available to provide pastoral and personal and practical training and resources uh, for people interested in helping to plant a Calvary Chapel. And so uh, we're super excited about this. My manual is just one of the resources uh, that are we're using. And uh, I'm excited to partner with you and meet new friends uh, during our time up in Monterey and uh, look forward very much. I, I think, Bruce, one of the things I love about Cultivate uh, so far is it's very relational and grassroots in nature. I mean, it's really only going to go as far as individual pastors and leaders are willing to take on, you know, fresh blood and do the Timothy, you know, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to others, others to others kind of uh, model of ministry. And uh, to me, that's beautiful. That's great. And I, I think you're right. I, it seems to me like there's a fresh moment uh, right now, you know, where it's uh, such a time of upheaval in many ways, a time of confusion for, I think, nearly everyone. We're kind of in that chaos time. And I don't know that things will ever settle down for the church. I don't think we're ever going to go back to whatever normal was in our culture and society, you know, even five or 10 years ago. Um, but as things settle, it feels like an opportunity for church planners to get the gospel out and to begin new expressions of God's um, family here on earth. So, so excited about it. Bruce, what are, what are some ways that people can, um, who, who aren't pastors and aren't going to be training church planters that what are some ways we can support cultivate? Yeah, I, I think, uh, we would greatly appreciate and respect prayers. I think for example, uh, being, uh, just curious to, to give up a couple hours on an afternoon just to learn about what's going on to cultivate. I think um, to show up at a gathering or check out the cultivatechurchplanning.com and to have a, a greater sense of connection. And that oftentimes will mm -hmm. inspire a new direction from God, new direction in prayer, direction for financial support for the Calvary Global Network and this desire to see a thousand churches supported during the course of the next 10 years, which is an incredible kingdom initiative. And uh, simply coming and finding out, uh, as I mentioned, I never wanted to be a pastor. I meet people who seemingly all their life, they wanted to be a pastor. I think that's wonderful. I just wasn't that person. But when I made myself available to check out something that God uh, redirected me. And so I think it, as people open themselves out to discover, they may be going as part of a team. Uh, certainly the people who helped uh, to support Calvary Chapel and Camarillo at its birth, uh, that the great majority of those people weren't there five years after the church had planted, but each mm -hmm. of them was instrumental. So when people uh, participate as part of a team, we want them to understand they're not uh, signing their life away. We really encourage uh, the team members as well as team leaders to look at it as about a six to 
12 month recommitment and to reevaluate at the end of that time and see if it's working. But the, the team aspect beyond just a, a planter or a planter's family can be incredibly supportive. And, and so just being available to see if you might be used in that regard could be really helpful as well. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Bruce, in a second, I want to wrap up the this uh, time of this podcast with you just giving a closing exhortation to the church, and it can be related to church planning if you'd like, or anything else that the Lord has put on your heart. But before I let you do that, I just want to double down and give uh, that invitation to anyone in the greater Monterey area or region uh, to come on out um, on February 1st to Calvary Monterey for our Cultivate uh, Church Planting Gathering. Uh, if you're interested in this at all as a prospective church planting pastor uh, or as a pastor or leader in an existing church that is uh, considering how you can be involved in planting churches or would like to hear more about Cultivate or Calvary Global Network or both, I'd love to get you uh, here to Monterey on that day. The meeting is from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. and lunch will be provided. So our hope is that that will give you enough time if you're up in the Bay Area or you're south of us or out in the Central Valley to drive out in the morning, uh, be here for those three hours, and then have time to be able to travel home that night. So it'll be a inexpensive day for you just paying for travel but not having to do lodging and again if you're interested in that we've put a link to the registration form for that um, in the show notes so it's a free event we'd love to get you out on that day February 1st uh, to be with Bruce and myself uh, and others so that we can talk about planting churches and the great commission that Christ has given to us. So come on out on that day. Uh, Bruce, uh, why don't you close us out with a closing word? Yeah, just the, the unfortunate reality is Monterey, Northern California, the Central Coast, as you contemplate the whole of the United States, those regions are in the top 20, uh, to some extent, the top 10 or 15 in the most unchurched areas uh, in the whole of our country. And so uh, there is an increased awareness and need for church planting and more gospel-centered churches to be planted where people learn the Word of God, are matured into uh, disciples who can make disciples of Jesus. And so we want to stand with you and support you in that work. And I look forward to meeting you coming up on the first. And uh, thank you so much, Pastor Nate, for just the conversation with you. I so greatly appreciate you, my friend. Bruce, you're a great man. You're a great model to so many of us. And I love what you're doing, bro, because I think for me, as I've watched you over the years, you know, you're, you're a local church guy. You love your church. You love your church family. Uh, but I see you shifting a gear right now in this next phase of your life and ministry. And it's been pretty cool to watch. So can't wait to see you in uh, February. And thanks again for hanging out with us today. God bless you.